but uh, yeah, I just I, I as somebody, and I'm gonna ask some very I, I think to me at least researching this this topic, I'm very ignorant of this subject, which is why I wanted to talk to you because you obviously have a deep knowledge and you've done a lot of research into this. And I think as somebody that was born in the United States, we just don't have a very good understanding of China as a whole and the very dramatic changes that China and the people of China have undergone in the past just few decades. And and I think it's really compelling and really fascinating. So just give you an idea, that's sort of what I want to get at here uh, with this interview. So if you're you're ready, we can start this thing. Sure. Um, So let me uh, just briefly describe what the book is about. Um, Yeah, of course. um, So from the early 1980s, um, the People's Republic of China started to transition into a kind of a, a market economy, a kind of uh, converting from uh, a traditional socialist model into a, um, a standard more like capitalist economy. Um, and one of the first steps it, um, it undertook was to uh, so-called decollectivize the rural collectives or the rural communes. Um, um, so previously uh, in the countryside, um, millions of people they were organized into uh, co-ops um, or co- collectives. They they um, they do work together. They um, they share the the output together. They um, they build um, com- uh, communal schools, um, 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 ha- um, hospitals. Um, so they provide a, a wide range of benefits. Um, and the production under the collective were uh, were, were doing good, um, but uh, but at the, the early 1980s, the central government in China decided to dismantle um, all those rural collectives, um, and basically it dis, uh, it divided the collective land and all the assets on the land into individual households. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, um, and obviously, you know, all the previous uh, institutions like the schools and hospitals, they, they all got affected because there is no entity that actually supports those things anymore. Um, and um, so instead of a collective way of uh, working, uh, then uh, China started to have uh, this small household farming. Um, that's the... Uh, um, dominant mode uh, since the ni- early 1980s. The process was very fast. It, it only lasted three to four years and it finished nationwide. Um, um, so in the um, mainstream books, including the textbook that, you know, I, when I was a child, I using those kind of things, I had to read and learn from those books. And mm-hmm. um, they always portray this process as a very uh, is a magnificent thing. It's 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 um, it's great. People love it, um, mm-hmm. and and you know, and and best of all, it it improved um, uh, efficiency because it um, people argued that um, uh, when you work for a group, uh, work under a collective, um, everyone basically shirked. You know, um, uh, nobody is really paying much effort. So uh, everyone was poor, basically, because of the collectives. Mm-hmm. Uh, once, once you dismantle the collective, once you privatize everything, um, you solve the incentive problem, um, and you have a uh, great improvement in, e- in efficiency. So mm-hmm. people love it. It's purely spontaneous. Uh, it's, it's very democratic. It's, it's a great reform. Um, and that was kind of the um, the main justification for uh, for you know um, the further market reforms that been doing uh, undertaken in China in recent decades. That's further privatization, further marketization, and uh, so that all came from that starting point. That's the huge decollectivization of millions of people's uh, collectives. Um, right. And yeah, and and uh, this this book was uh, mainly talking about this historical process, and it um, it uh, it basically challenges 
the the view that uh, this reform was uh, democratic or spontaneous. It was it wasn't grassroots movement at all. It was a top-down coercive uh, campaign that was imposed by the uh, government. It was very obvious, and also it didn't have uh, the acclaimed uh, magic uh, effects in efficiency. Um, the uh, you know all the recorded efficiency improvement can be largely explained by uh, the increase in say chemical fertilizers uh, mm. instead of some kind of um, uh, improvement in, in incentives. So that's uh, what I was trying to argue. And the book also talk about uh, the connection between the Chinese episode and the global story because throughout the world um, during 1950s and 70s, uh, there is a lot of, uh, there was a lot of progressive movement in terms of the agrarian land relationship, uh, trying to give peasant land, you know, land reform, land revolution, uh, building collectives, um, etc. But since you know 1980s, the the trend has been reversed. Uh, it moved toward the other direction. That's you know uh, uh, withdrawing the previous reform, over you know, just undo the previous reform, mm-hmm. and instead of protecting the peasants, farmers. They try to take a, take the land away from the peasants, um, try to undo the previous land reform, um, or in case like China, when you already had a collective, you would dismantle the collectives. Um, so it, it, it tried to elaborate this uh, connection uh, politically and economically, how this uh, trend happened you know, globally and also within China. Okay. And also, um, I described... Uh, the some of the problem that uh, within the collectives, you know, within those rural communes, uh, it wasn't a you know a perfect institution. Uh, it it had great achievements, but it has its own problems, uh, which uh, which contributed to uh, some sometimes the passiveness uh, uh, of the peasants when the government decided to just took it down because. You know, you don't really um, see any major protest uh, from the peasants against, you know, this decollectivization. You know, right. it was rather very uh, quite peaceful. Um, so there is, you know, the, I argue that this was because that the peasants were, um, uh, you know, was unha- were unhappy with certain aspects of the collectives. But the reform in itself didn't really address those concerns. It just made it worse, actually. Right. So that's that's what I was mainly trying to do in the book. And the book was, I think, it was uh, just released today. <laughs> so oh, perfect. Yeah. yeah, I was I was just looking at the website, um, monthly the monthly review, which is I believe is publishing your book. And yeah, I did, it just said it forthcoming in June two thousand eighteen. So I didn't know the exact date. But that's really cool that we're talking on the very day. So that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, awesome. Uh, yeah. So and then I want to I want to get you in more context because I think many people would argue, and I, I know that in the United States in particular, we're a very hyper capitalist society. Mm-hmm. So we tend to view things through this capitalist lens, even when we may find ourselves to be opposed to capitalism. But I look at for at China, and we look at this 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 great. Uh, nation with a very deep history and we look at maybe the past century or so and we look at the major cultural shifts the major changes that have happened under the communist party in china Mm -hmm. and so prior to the rise of the communist party in china was there still this collectivization of of farming or was this something that happened as a policy Mm -hmm. under the communist party Mm mm-hmm um, traditionally, there is um, uh, under the say 100 years ago, most of the land were owned by uh, landlords. Um, mm, okay. And you know, more than 70, 80 percent of land were owned by less than 10 percent, 20 percent people. Uh, so uh, under lo- that kind of model, uh, the landlord would um, uh, basically uh, uh, lease the land to. Uh, many, you know, large number of tenants who operate on those lands. Um, 
there is no basis for them to, you know, because the landlord didn't really care about production. They live, um, most of them, they, you know, they live far away from the farmland. They just, they, what they care is they collect rents huh, when time mm. comes. Um, and the tenants didn't have much incentive to work together. You know, it's a, it's an individual contract. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, um, but, uh, the thing started to change, obviously, um, that, uh, and this was even before the Communist uh, uh, Party t- took over. Um, so even during the um, uh, their so-called Republican era, that's between 19, 1911 and 1949 in the mainland, um, uh, the the uh, the ruling party, uh, the Republican Party, was trying to implement some kind of land reform. Um, so it, 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 it obviously it didn't have any uh, like collectivization stuff, but it tried to uh, lower the rent uh, mm. charged by the landlords. It tried to redistribute, you know, some of the land to the peasants. It's something like that. So when the but but the Republic, Republican Party wasn't able to go very far because the the party itself is um, is affiliated with the land the landlord class itself. So when when you implement reforms that that's hurting that's harming the interests of the landlord class, it it couldn't be really um, implemented. It's mm-hmm. violating their own interests. So when the um, when the Communist Party came, uh, they overthrew the, the Republicans, and uh, they didn't have any, you know, kind of interest relationship with the landlord class, and it, its its political base was uh, among the peasants. Mm-hmm. So it basically mobilized the the peasants to redistribute the land, um, and that was the the key program of the revolution. Uh, that's. Uh, that basically led to the uh, the founding of the People's Republic in 1949. Uh, but after after that reform, basically, that there is um, uh, I think there is a controversy within the communists that uh, what how to move forward from this. Um, some people, I would say, you know, many people within the party that. Uh, think that the basically the, the revolution is done um, because we already distribute the land uh, to the to the people uh, the so-called land to the tiller so uh, we don't have this big landlords uh, exploiting the small farmers uh, instead every household have their own plot of farm like the, this is perfect mm-hmm. but um, but I think just within a very short period of time um, it um it it you know if people realize that this 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 status that every family um owned a little plot of land is very unstable um uh, so because you know people were still uh um, pretty poor and when there is a natural disaster uh when there is a health condition um where you have to borrow money um, the only thing you can do is to you have to sell your land to some other guy, mm-hmm. uh, and so even within weeks you you can you know uh, transition from a you know a property owner <laughs> to again to a landless peasant, mm-hmm. um, and that's basically you know that's posing a, a huge threat to the Communist Party itself because the party. Has its base in the uh, the poor peasants, mm-hmm. so if it cannot really help to, it cannot protect the peasants. It you know it does, it can't really maintain its rule um, very long, and that's why um, the other wing of the party, that's the uh, more radical part, um, they argue that um, uh, we should do one step more than this land reform. We should try to organize the peasants together to put them into cooperatives. Because when you get larger, uh, when you have more people, um, when you have more land, when you have more machines or uh, anim- large animals, uh, you, you're, um, you're, it's easier for you to, you know, to go through uh, difficult times. You know, when you have mm-hmm. a health condition or whatever, you have a, you have a group instead of just one family. 
Right. Um, and also, it's easier to maintain uh, kind of equality within the community because you know you you are a collective. You know you 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 distribute your output according to some criteria that you guys figured out, like um that something you you think makes sense, right? Um, maybe the collective can distribute, for for example, um, you know one hundred dollars unconditional to every member of the community. And whatever uh, after that one hundred dollars, they distribute according to how much you worked, right? It's, but you know that's the the whole the the way you distribute your output can can change across communities. But the the thing that the um, the thing that you already have a collective that people can collectively decide how to produce and what to produce and you know it's, and how to distribute is is a huge improvement over the previous status mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's what the the communist party was uh, trying to uh, trying to argue and it actually you know try to mobilize the people to do it um, there there is some tradition um, among the peasants that um, you know even after the land reform before they had a collective once you have your own land, once you started to produce things, you will realize that um, you still need some help sometimes. You know, when there, when there's the time of harvesting, um, for example, you sometimes you need to do the harvesting very fast, like within two or three days. Uh, if you do it by yourself, uh, it, it, it sometimes took longer than that, and you have to waste some portion of your products. Um, and it makes a lot of sense to have a group of people working together and make it more efficient. Uh, that's, you know, uh, for example, this, this year or this month, I need your help. So, you know, you come to help me. And next month, when it's your turn, I will go to help you. That's the kind of uh, very, uh, it's very primitive uh, form of uh, a co-op or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of um, mutual help. Um, so the so the the Communist Party basically organized the peasants through different stages. First, it organized into kind of mutual help group. It's like I help you today and you help me tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And after after uh, you know a certain time, they they you know they would they would decide to okay let's maybe we can just produce together and we harvest together instead of you know tomorrow and day, today and those kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still own their own land. Um, the the property is separ- are separate, and they own their own animals or any machines they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of um, the second stage. But if the if this stage went well, um, then you know people would consider moving on to the next stage. That is, um, you know, all the lands are being just put together instead of having individual owned land. Uh, if they have a Group, uh, uh, collective owned land. They, they, you know, everyone has a share basically in that in that uh, company. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and all the animals or all the machines or the tools uh, individuals have will be put into the collective as a share of the whole uh, property. So you know, some people would have more shares uh, compared to other people because they have more animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's. The, the the this very high like advanced stage of, of the co-op and uh, and eventually I mean the the idea of the the Communist Party was trying to um, abolish the that uh, you know this unequal shares within the co-op so I you know I know you have an, an extra animal that you want to claim an extra share on the on the output but you know, if we move on to the, the 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 highest stage, you won't receive any extra stuff for mm-hmm. your extra animal. The animal is just become collectively owned. But that's the I, theoretically that's the the last stage of this uh, this whole co-op thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, so this process um, originally was I think was designed to take about more than ten years, fifteen years. Uh, and um, but in 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 practice, it it um, it took much shorter than that. Um, so by the early I think nineteen um, early late nineteen fifties early nineteen sixties, um, this uh, this process was basically done. Mm-hmm. 
Mm, okay. So it was a process that had to be implemented over the course of about a decade, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yep. And it sounds rather complex. I mean, and this is where it gets into my interest in mm-hmm. uh, kind of collectives and how to manage economies in that way, whether or not mm-hmm. it's something that could be managed from the top down or from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. I lean more in the right. bottom up um, angle, mm-hmm. but I do understand mm-hmm. that we can look at these moments of history and we could look to what happened there. We can kind of see where a lot of complications have emerged trying to implement these ideas. Um, <clears throat> it's very fascinating to me that that's, you know, what was happening. So, so then you fast mm-hmm. forward to the 80s, the early 80s, and all of these economic reforms were happening. And that's really right. what, you know, when I was researching your work, that's really what I was coming across was that all of this collectivization, this process of collectivizing farmers and their land uh, was being undone. And right. and so I, I, I guess we can get into how that was ha- happening. But really my major question, and I want to get to this point, is why did that start to happen? You know, if, if this, I know it wasn't perfect, but seeming that it was under the, the ideology of the, the, the Chinese Communist Party to collectivize things, why were they moving away from that? And then, of mm-hmm. course, we, after that, I would like to ask, you know, how we got to the point where we are today. But we'll start at the right. 80s and the reforms that happened then. Right. Um, the, the, yeah, the, those are um, great questions. And uh, as I mentioned before, uh, the, uh, there are different factions within the Communist Party. You know, mm-hmm. this, uh, uh, you know, some people think that, you know, land reform is good enough. Uh, we shouldn't do any more than that um, because it's, you know, it's, they have the idea that um, uh, you should, you know, uh, you should let the, uh, the countryside, the villages, uh, just develop by, by themselves instead of, you know, go, doing collectivization. Um, and they argue, uh, some of them even argue that uh, if, uh, if eventually, you know, there is uh, inequality or um, uh, kind of a, a capitalist landowner uh, or capitalist farmers, uh, you know, uh, exploiting the other people, then the Communist Party can simply take over, <laughs> take mm-hmm. over the assets of that kind. Those that that's, um, but in practice, the the, the um, I think I I, um, I think a strong faction within the party was that uh, they they argued that uh, it's too early to do uh, the collectives. Uh, we, we should wait for a few decades or even a hundred years um, before we can really uh, do a meaningful uh, rural collectives. Uh, but before that, uh, we should, you know, develop uh, something that's different from a kind of a socialist uh, relation. Uh, for example, we can develop capitalism. Uh, but, you know, eventually, we, 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 you know, when people get, uh, uh, you know, the, the material condition gets, uh, gets better, then that gives us the opportunity to convert them into a socialist co-op. Uh, so that that that's that that particular faction, and uh, the more radical faction argues that uh, if you if you you know this theory basically is is uh, is cheating. You know, it's uh, once you wait, once you wait the um, uh, uh, like a, a few decades or hundred years when you know the capitalists or the whatever uh, ruling class is controlling the countryside. Then you know even the Communist Party would change. Uh, it will not uh, be representing the interests of the poor peasants anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. It will be representing some something else. Um, and uh, so if you get to that stage, uh, basically it means that um, uh, you won't have any meaningful reforms. Um, and they argue that it, it's it's never too early to do uh, collectivization. Uh, because when uh, on, people only learn to do a different kind of model, different way of life, when they are actually in that relationship, um, you never know what like marriage is like once you actually get married. I guess mm-hmm. um, uh, the uh, I think they 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 argue that you know if if you want to have a, a genuinely you know like a real like uh, a um, uh, egalitarian, uh, democratic kind of way of, of life, 
um, then you have to do it from the very beginning uh, instead of wait a few decades. Um, so that obviously the two factions, the the fought uh, against each other uh, throughout, you know, uh, the the first decades of the, of the People's Republic, and um, by the late 1970s, basically the radical faction uh, faction was defeated, um, and uh, and the the People's Commune or the collectives in the countryside were considered the the you know the the children uh, the child of those radical faction. Mm. Um, and you know the the new uh, the you know the the, the elites that uh, come in uh, to the center stage that they are the different faction they 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 believe that the uh, collect the collectives or the communes were still too early or is inappropriate for the 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 particular you know stage of the Chinese economy you know we should undo it. That's the mm-hmm. that's the baseline of the. So it's not violating the the Communist Party's um, idea. Uh, it's just it's just uh, different factions. Right. Um, and um, so you know that, but but still you know it's the 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 uh, the, the faction uh, that's coming to power um, uh, in the uh, late 1970s. They. They didn't really consider agriculture or uh, the uh, people's commune as a uh, as a major uh, target. You know, when once you get to you know once you can come into office, you, you you have so many agenda to to address, right? And agriculture is 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 I guess is among the you know the bottom of the list. Um, and the main concern was to reform the other legacy. Of the previous uh, government that basically was uh, in the industrial sector, all the workers, uh, because in the cities, um, uh, the the socialist economy basically featured kind of a, a, a life tenure uh, employment relationship. Um, you know, once what the everyone basically as long as you you um, you know you you live in the cities. Uh, you went to, to went to school. You will be assigned a job, you know, a guaranteed job, and you can stay in that job uh, until you you die. Um, that's kind of the uh, you know it's it's uh, even like even if you go to prison, uh, you, you 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 committed some crime and you you went to jail, uh, you are still an employee of that uh, company. Hmm. And after you come come out of the jail, you will go back to work. Um, you will n- never lose that job. So that's that kind of um, uh, model. Um, and uh, so the workers basically had uh, a, st- a very strong power within the firm. Um, you know, at the um, basically at the climax of of, of the uh, the radical era, uh, workers. Uh, uh, basically, you know, they, they directly control the firms, control the factories, um, and they had a strong, you know, say in you know um, how much they produce and how much benefits they have, or, or um, you know whether we should hire this person or fire this person, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's not something uh, that was. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, not everybody loved this kind of situation, um, especially for the um, for the uh, traditional elites that were, uh, you know, they were, uh, you know, well educated or had uh, a lot of power in the government, or they uh, kind of they, they receive a lot, they have lots of expertise. They, you know, they kind of they look at uh, their own condition and they look at um, say countries like uh, Japan or United States where the peers of them um, uh, did uh, so much better you know in terms mm-hmm. of pay in terms of uh, you know this prestige in terms of power uh, it was so much more so you know it wasn't uh, they didn't like this worker um, centered model very much uh, and they wanted to change it uh, they obviously they gave the argument that um, the the firms were the once the worker controlled the firm, a, a firm became very inefficient, uh, etc. But those are just more um, 
uh, like uh, propaganda instead of reality. Mm. Um, the um, but so the, the the primary focus was trying to reform the urban or the industrial sector um, to m- more like a management controlled firms or or elite controlled economy. Um, and it, they you know well they had the you know they they sent people to to Japan they sent people to other countries to learn how they actually manage the firms. Uh, and they tried to implement those kind of things in in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it met uh, great hostility from the workers, of course, and um, it wasn't easy uh, because when the workers had uh, traditionally had so much uh, formal and informal power, it, you can't just do it overnight to say, okay, now I'm the boss and you have to do whatever I I I want you to do. Sure, uh, it's it's not easy and and. Uh, so if, you know, if eventually what really uh, you know uh, became uh, what well, well, the result was actually that um, this the central government, in, instead of well, you know, the, in order to encourage this kind of a new labor relation in the uh, urban sector, they try to give more power to every firm. So every firm, instead of you know listening to or receiving order from the Kind of a central uh, planning agency that okay, how much you want to produce, or you know, this is the a wage you receive, uh, and uh, basically every firm now has more uh, authority in this in determining like what what how much how much wage we should uh, give and how much bonus we give and how much we should produce. Mm-hmm. Um, but since since the workers, I mean, the 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 aim of obviously was to trying to uh, uh, decrease the power of the workers, but the but since the workers still had uh, a tremendous power within the system, uh, the management basically what they managed to do was to give more bonus to the workers. Uh, so if they have more freedom in deciding how much bonus they give, you know instead of cutting bonus, they have to inc- always increase bonus because the workers they they have to you know they have to give them bonus. Uh, because the workers had still had strong power, um, and it, it, but you know if a reform that's uh, you know that that, that aiming uh, to decrease the power of the workers that end up giving workers more bonus uh, or salary, it's not it was not a successful reform at all, mm-hmm. um, and um, and you know the government went into difficulties partly because of that, and you know. Uh, they spend too much uh, for workers, uh, so there is a budgetary crisis. Um, and you know, the the new government that the the new government that's you know come into power, they also have their own legitimacy crisis. That if you can't do this, you know this one thing very well, then you know how can you uh, rule this country um, mm-hmm. for another period of time. So they have to find something else to prove that they can do it well. Uh, they can effectively destroy uh, whatever uh, legacy from the previous period um, and to show that they are doing actual reforms and they have the momentum to actually implement it. So uh, they, I think they, you know, they, they, they chose agriculture or the, uh, the, the rural economy as a target following the failure in the urban areas because they thought that this this could be easier mm-hmm. um, and you know even that even then you know, it wasn't so easy because at the local level um, at it or you know at the county uh, or uh, uh, provincial level there's still a lot of people uh, that think that the collective agriculture is a good way of uh, um, organizing uh, um, the rural society, uh, it's 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 efficient um, and it maintains a uh, very good degree of, of, of uh, equality. So no one is left out of the picture, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they 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 think that this, this is the way to do kind of a socialist model. Um, uh, but the central government was uh, was very determined. And uh, it, it used all kinds of um, 
leverage and, and pressures to uh, basically to to implement the policy. You know, there is the, the old saying, if you if you don't do the new policy, that's decollectivize the, 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 the this uh, rural economy, uh, you will be removed. You will be replaced with someone else who is willing to do it. Um, and if you if you follow the uh, the orders, you if you just uh, dismantle the, the 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 communes, and you will be rewarded. Um, um, so under that uh, very strong political pressure, um, you know this whole thing was was done in uh, just in a few years, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it it was very. I think it was fortunate for the um, the the central government at the time that uh, during the first year, first two or three years of that um, decollectivization, uh, especially in 1984 when decollectivization was officially uh, finished, uh, the the agricultural production was was at a record high. You know, it was so. It was so much higher than the previous uh, uh, record, you know, in the previous government. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it gave them a lot of confidence. It gave them a lot of legitimacy. They argued that you know uh, we did this reform, um, and the reform was very successful. Um, we we which it did you know within a few years, and the result was was great. You know everyone was benefiting from this reform. So that was the political basis for further reforms uh, in the urban areas in, in other places um, and uh, and also you realize that you know, once you uh, dismantle the rural economy uh, many people the uh, you know previously in the in the communes uh, everyone has a job basically you know you, you, you there is a lot of institutions like I said you know medical institutions um, 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 education. Um, um, many people had a jo- had had a job, um, mm-hmm. and even if you don't work in those institutions, you always have something to do. Um, there is, uh, for example, there is a a a, a, a large um, like part of the effort in the in the communes that's building uh, uh, infrastructure, building roads, building uh, reservoirs. Um, and uh, do all those kind of things. They, that, that which the, those projects employed, um, you know, millions of people. So you always got some something to do. Mm. Um, once the commune uh, basically was uh, destroyed, the um, the uh, once you return to a kind of this family, small family agriculture, uh, there's a lot of uh, labor that were freed from the previous uh, model. Um, they have to find work to do um, because there's no collective projects anymore uh, and they have to go to the cities uh, to find new jobs. And once they go move to the cities, what happens is that, um, you know, the previously, as I mentioned, one of the major difficulty was that the workers had traditionally had power in the firms that you mm-hmm. can't really dis- discipline them too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know the reason is that you can't really find replacement. Everyone has a job, and you can't say you know you, uh, you know go away and I'll find someone else to replace you. But you can't find that replacement because everyone has a formal job with benefits. But now the story changed um, as millions of people you know move out of agriculture or villages to the cities, and they became the perfect uh, substitute for the you know, to, for the workers. Um, mm. So, you know, basically it greatly empowered the uh, the management uh, the, and, you know, whoever, you know, um, control the firm, they, they they now have perfect substitutes for those workers. Now, if you, if, if you don't listen to me, then I'll just fire you. I don't worry where I should hire because there's a long waiting list outside. Uh, so that's uh, in, in a lot of aspects. It's it's a very familiar story, right? Um, and um, but in in China, this means that you know it's um, the the traditional bond between uh, the rural economy, urban economy, or the peasant workers was broken, and the peasants for the I think for the really for the first time became competitors uh, with the urban workers. 
they mm-hmm. fight, they fought against each other, and and uh, that all all of those uh, greatly benefited the um, the you know uh, the the elites um, and th- those people who are uh, you know uh, thinking that they they could get much more from adopting a more capitalist model. Right. Yeah, and I I see what you're saying that now that there was this competition between the farmers or the people moving out of these rural areas into cities and then with the people that live there already, that already right. seems to set itself up for some, some sort of mode of capitalist competition. And right. was that planned? Did they expect that to happen? Or is this something that uh, as it started to unfold, they realized like, oh, we can actually make something out of this. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. Um, the, I think, um, um, it's hard to know whether they had a clear plan, but the uh, uh, I personally don't think they were that uh, like far-sighted. You know, they they do this reform and they would know that uh, in ten years this reform would actually benefit the the other mm-hmm. campaign. Um, uh, I think they, they more likely you know in the early nineteen eighties they were uh, they were pushed. You know, they were. So they were in a hurry. They tried to find some solution to their own, you know, uh, legitimacy crisis, and they, they they found agriculture. They didn't think too much after that, mm. um, and um, but but you know, but just as but I think by the time, uh, say five or six years after that, um, uh, after decollectivization, I think many of them. Uh, should have realized what's the potential benefits of this reform. Um, and, you know, the urban reform started 10 years after um, uh, the rural reform. So, you know, they, I don't think there is a kind of a, a conscious uh, move, like, you know, I want to do this in order to do that. But in, in reality, it facilitated the, the other reform. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's uh, and, and also it's, uh, I, um, you know, like I said, I uh, when I went to schools um, uh, back in China, that I everybody learned those kind of things. You know, um, um, this um, uh, you know this rural reform was a great reform. It, it it did so many great things for the peasants and for the country. Um, it didn't talk too much about the urban reform because um, you know the urban reform was very fresh when I was uh, in in school. You know, every day there were people protesting on the streets. Um, you know, uh, it's just uh, you know, it's like occupy the government, those kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's very hard to make an argument that the um, the, the the urban reform was a good thing to do, um, especially for the urban kids. You know, it who, <laughs> the families that are relying on the on the wages, and now the parents lost their jobs. Um, it's hard to sell that story. However, for the uh, for agriculture, you know, it's it's a different story. It, the the peasants didn't have much resistance towards the the reform, um, and the you know so and for some for some time for some point it, there is no obvious loser in this reform. You know, it, at, at least superficially. So it's easy to sell this story as a kind of a, as a model, saying you know this is what our the, the, we have been doing, and if we you know but if the logic is true, we should do other reform as well, including the urban reform. So that I think that's uh, makes it a better uh, uh, you know uh, textbook material. <laughs> sure, right. Got to clean it up for the textbooks. Um, right. Yeah, and so. I I just want to kind of expand the scope a bit because now we're up to 2018. Um, China is one of the most, I mean, the most powerful economic forces in the world right now. I mean, from what I can understand, I mean, that was always the fear within the United States is that China is growing. China is growing. It's getting bigger. It's going to become more and more influential in the global economy. And it's already at that point. I don't think that there's really much that the United States or any other major economic power can do to stop that from happening. Um, but you, but you just recently, I'm, I'm just going to bring up something uh, recently, mm-hmm. you know, our 
our wonderful President Trump, <laughs> mockingly, uh, he wants to put tariffs on a lot of different countries, including China. Um, and mm-hmm. he seems to, uh, I know this is sort of an isolationist mentality that sort of sprung up within the Trump administration in particular. Um, so China seems to be in a position where it it doesn't really seem to care I'm sure it cares, but it doesn't, as a government, it doesn't really seem that worried about whether or not the United States wants to put tariffs on its products or not. Um, it, it, obviously, it's going to affect them in some ways, but I think that from what I can kind of sense is that the Chinese government seems kind of prepared for something like this to happen. They they almost seemed aware that they were encroaching on the United States' uh, kind of place in the world. And mm-hmm. so I guess maybe to sort of project a bit into the future, um, maybe the next year or so, I, I don't know how far you want to go out, but understanding these changes that have happened within China, and I'm sure you're very much aware of what's going on on the global level as well. What do you mm-hmm. think the, the trend is regarding China and its relationship to, say, the United States and other major economic players in the world? Right. Um, uh, I think there is... I think there are several layers of this discussion I, I want to uh, um, mention. One okay. of them is that, um, you know, there's uh, even w- like in, like you mentioned in China, the, uh, the, the people that are, were, I think they, they were conscious that um, uh, like in, in some way China is, is, is becoming one of the uh, top economic players in the world, and it's kind of encroaching some of the interests of the United States. Um, but that's the kind of uh, you know it, it, if you if you live in China, you would you know here you would you would uh, this you would see this kind of uh, uh, news uh, you know media story every day, I guess. Uh, I, but I from from my own experience, I I always think that there's uh, a strong uh, nationalist propaganda, but behind all those uh, kind of uh, stories, you know, mm-hmm. China has become so strong. Uh, China is gonna replace the United States. Um, it's 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 one way, you know. It's it's uh, I think it's a nationalist story. You know, it's mm-hmm. trying to uh, buy some support from the people, um, um, and uh, the uh, and but the the thing is that the you know. Uh, the United States, like the President Trump, is also saying those kind of things sometimes. Uh, sure. But it, it 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 is another kind of nationalist uh, way, you know, try to buy support. You know, oh, okay, China is is damaging our interest, it's hurting our working class. Uh, you know, this is un, un, unacceptable, and uh, that's why you should vote for me. And, and you know, let's do something sure. big. Sure. Um, and uh, but in in China, the, you know the, the the logic obviously is that okay, we're doing so great, we're even replacing the United States. Uh, that's why you should support me. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, um, but those are propagandas, and and whether it's actually China is actually really encroaching the interests of the United States, or uh, China has become so much like like even stronger than the United States or other countries. I think it, I would put some question mark on that. I don't. I don't think Chinese economy is that strong. It's okay. uh, okay. you know, uh, in ter- in terms of scale, yes, it's a large economy for sure. Um, but you know, it's it's uh, it's 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 not, it's not really competing with the United States or Japan or 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 the European economy. They are producing very different kind of stuff. Um, you know, when you when you produce different kind of stuff, you you don't really compete, right? I mean, w- like in China, people produce um, some kind of shirt uh, when they, where they produce certain parts of the iPhone uh, or put them together, uh, while the United States or other places produce other key parts of iPhone um, and you know just outsource it to to China. That doesn't mean they have a competition relationship it's more like uh, you know working together but on different levels you know mm-hmm. uh, China is it, in that aspect China is no different from uh, other economies like India um, Vietnam um, or you know uh, South Africa it's 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 um, it's still I think economically it's still part of that uh, group 
it's better than other third world countries, but it, at, at, but uh, structurally, I think it's still part of that. Um, okay. And um, but you know, but yes, China is, is is still growing. You know, it's growing much faster than many other countries. Um, that that you you can see that you know the the Chinese uh, ruling class, you know, the capitalists are, I would say, you know. Um, Sometimes the more efficient uh, or you know more productive capitalist class than the kind of elites that we we see here in this country mm-hmm. or in other countries. Um, it's uh, you know like in at the beginning of the uh, uh, this uh, conversation, you mentioned that um, um, United States is like hyper capitalist is etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually you know uh, when I when I first came to the United States. Um, I like within one or two days, I, I had this idea that this is not so much capitalist compared mm. to what we had in, in China. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it, uh, well, you know, it, 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 in China, we really had the uh, the the standard textbook uh, capitalism uh, that you can still see a lot of those in, you know, a 19th century, you know, book. Yeah. Right. Um, well, in in here in this country, you know, yes, it's it's capitalist, but you you see a lot of uh, anti-capitalist elements uh, in people's thinking um, and in everyday life. That's what what I felt. So it, so um, so China in that aspect is hyper. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and and it had a very efficient capitalist class as well. Right. Um, but it, it, but as I said, it has its own problems. The the economy is slowing down. Like every capitalism, um, you can't really avoid economic crisis, um, and you would always have boom and bust. And uh, once you have a crisis, I mean, so far, I mean, after the you know the post Mao leadership took control, China didn't have a real economic crisis as of yet. You know, it has some kind of uh, uh, slowdown and those kind of things, but it, it's not—it's nothing like an economic crisis. Mm-hmm. So part of the uh, the stability or legitimacy is is also built on that. You know, partly is built on this ma- magnificent rural reform, but uh, another part is that you know at least we maintain a growing economy. Look mm-hmm. at other countries, how you know they 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 couldn't even do that. So that's part of the legitimacy and. So you, you can imagine once there, if there is a crisis, which will definitely will have, what it, as long as they're doing a, a capitalist economy, and mm-hmm. that would that would uh, really um, uh, change the story uh, dramatically. Um, to to add to that, you know, one of the because we were talking about agriculture and the rural economy is actually related because um, the one of the the key. Uh, uh, characteristics of the Chinese economy uh, in the previous decades is that um, it had a, this large, uh, like millions of people working in in agriculture in small families, and and you know you know a lot of them you know moved to the cities uh, mm-hmm. to become a worker, become workers or work in the urban area, um, but you know they still have home back in the village. They still have relatives. They still have families in many cases. Their children and their parents. So if there was a crisis, they can easily go back to the village and find something to to live by. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 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 means that um, you know uh, China is is very unique. It's very special. It, it it can absorb any potential economic crisis. You know, what, even you have a you know crisis, people. You don't have to worry about this high unemployment rate because people would always find something to do in the village. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- you know that's kind of the uh, one of the uh, the things that the the, the government uh, uh, officials talk about. The many scholars talk about. They think that this is the some kind of unique. Um, but I I you know but if you follow the logic of the rural reform, you know you know that that eventually this is going to develop kind of a, a capitalist relationship in agriculture, something like we, we, we see in the United States. And actually, the government is promoting 
this kind of a new family farm uh, modeled after the so-called family farm in the United States. You know, one small family managing operating on the large scale of land mm-hmm. and employing uh, hiring workers to do the work. Uh, so that's kind of the, 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 the trend. And according to um, a recent estimate that I did, I, I you know, I, I, I estimated that there are about 40 million people uh, in China that's, that, that, that are working full time as uh, agricultural uh, laborers. You know, they are wage laborers. Mm-hmm. They are not working within their family. So it, it, that means if there is a crisis, um, those workers, the, the rural workers, they would also lose their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, the agriculture will have to think about something. The rural economy has to figure out how to absorb those 40 million people first instead of thinking that, okay, you know, uh, the urban workers can just come back and we'll just give you something to work. Uh, no, this is not going to be the case because, it, you know, that it's it's quickly undergoing this capitalist transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, so 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 I think yeah you know, that in you know in the future five ten years, um, uh, if the crisis happens, uh, China would face a <coughs> a, a very tough um, uh, situation compared to many people uh, nowadays that they try to think about. You know they they think oh China is is, is special. You know it has a strong government, it has strong intervention, um, and and it has this massive rural economy that serves as a reservoir, so the unemployed can just go there. This is not the case anymore, and um, and and you know once we have if China had have a crisis, will be as severe as any other countries. Wow, yeah, it just sort of points to the fact that when you get on this capitalist economic development track um you do you do kind of undermine a lot of these um undermine the stability that may have existed prior to it right right we see that over and over again we see that i mean you go back to early european history you see that Mm -hmm. happened um you know we're seeing it happening in china right now i mean it's really fascinating that you're laying this out but it sounds so familiar it's the same story over and over and over again and um and i feel like I mean, you know, the the thing I think that we need to get away from in a more general sense is this sort of dualistic mentality. Like we're either going mm-hmm. to have yep. a top-down communist party that's going to mm-hmm. implement all these reforms and collectivize the the farmers or whoever, or we have to have some sort of capitalist model um, where everything is becoming increasingly privatized and all, all that. Right. I feel like right there there is probably some way that we can understand both of those things without. Um, I, I don't know. I think there's a lot of judgments that are attached to both of those. And I think that mm-hmm. by understanding the history and finding out what has worked and what doesn't work, I right. think maybe we can navigate our way through something that maybe is more viable for the people involved. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think that's the, the, the aim of, of the book is try to reopen the conversation. You know, we have to learn from the 20th century uh, in order to move on, you know, we have to go beyond the current model. Um, and, you know, and in the 20th century, that is a century that we tried so many different kind of things mm-hmm. um, and with lots of failure, of course, but with also some kind of success. So I think we need to really under, critically under, understand what really, you know, uh, worked in 20th century. Mm-hmm. And uh, or if something didn't work, why it didn't work? You know, it's it's um, uh, only on you know doing that we we can actually gain this understanding that how to build a better society. It's, right. it's, it's none of those the extremes that you mentioned. Right. Yeah, I, I think so. And so, um, well, June, we've been talking for about an hour, and right. Um, I thank you for your wonderful insights into this thing that I absolutely knew pretty much nothing about. So I thank you for sharing that information with me and with the listeners. And I just want to ask, I know that this book, uh, I'm just going to give you the title here. It's the uh, From Commune to Capitalism, How China's Peasants Lost Collective Farming and Gained Urban Poverty. This book, you just said at the beginning of this thing, was just released today as, a re- as the recording of this. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it was published by the Monthly Review. 
and um, I will provide a, a link to that book. Um, is there anything else that uh, people can know about your work that people can find more of, of what you've done, more research that you've done, or anything on social media, anything like that that we could uh, that I could promote on the podcast? Um, that's very kind of you, but I I, I don't have any um, social media. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, stuff in, in well, not not in the uh, not not in the English language, but sure, I, sure. I do have some. But you know, but but thank you very much. <laughs> oh yeah, no worries. Yeah, I just want to give people any resources that that they may have access that you have um, available. Um, just and I know that again, we have your I, your book, and I'll put that up there. Um, but uh, yeah, I just really appreciate you taking the time to answer my questions and to uh, expound on those subjects for this episode. Well, thank you very much.